So, we've been in a, a number of series, and um, you know, I've been having some questions about the journals, and if you don't have a journal, you need to grab a journal, and if you're new today, if it's your first time, you get a free journal, so that's awesome. You should stop by Connect Central, pick up one of these jur- journals. It tracks with our teaching, but even if you never come back, it's a great way to take steps of faith in, in your life, and uh, so we'd love to give you one of these um, if you've been around for a while, if, if you're not new, um, then you can pick up a journal and uh, we'll swap you $5 for it. So it's a good trade-off and um, we'd love for you to have, uh, have a journal. This, this, uh, this Wednesday night, we have a, a quick town hall meeting. So those of you who love the inside look and asking questions, uh, some of the board will be there, I'll be there, um, some other staff will be there. So we'd love to answer any questions you might have, just give you a little peek Uh, behind the scenes and let you know what's going on and what's coming up. So if that's something that interests you, we'll see you on Wednesday night about 6.30. So we've been tracking uh, for this uh, this journal. This this ministry season began in September, and we were looking at the, the grand narrative of Scripture. So from the beginning to the end, what's the story that the Bible tells? And it tells the story of God creating everything that is and creating us, and He created us and he implanted deep within us his image. Did you know that? Did you know that, that God's image is, is deep within you? Even if you don't recognize it, if uh, people around you look at you and go, no, you, God's image is not on you, um, it is. It's there. And we're broken. We talked about this. We're broken, and, and we've, uh, we've messed it up. But God still pursues us, and he calls us, and he loves us, and he redeems us through Jesus. Uh, and, and if we miss Jesus, we miss everything because he's the centerpiece of the story and we're unashamed about that. And, and then he launches us to live as a new kind of people. And then the last few weeks, so we went out of that series talking about the grand narrative of scripture, finding ourselves in the story. Uh, we, we've been in this series called Bless This Mess. And every week I ask this question, how many of you have a mess in your life this week? And almost 100% of people say, I've got a mess in my life. So let's find out today, how many people have a mess in your life this week? Anybody? Yeah, so about 75% today. The rest of you, the sermons have been working, so we'll celebrate that. Um, uh, Jesus declared uh, in some of his teachings that, that there were certain kinds of people who were blessed, and it goes against what we think. It's not always the people that we think that God blesses. And so we've been kind of plugging into that, and then uh, we come to a new series beginning today. So if it's your first day, you jumped in on a great day because we start a new series. Um, But we wanted to tie this to bless this mess because of where it's going to take us. Um, Now, it's okay to talk in church every now and then, so your neighbor, whoever's sitting next to you, here's the question. What do you think, there are five main things that couples and families fight about all the time. So even if you're not married, um, think back to your childhood with your parents or whoever you were in your home with. What do you think one of those five things is? So go ahead and share that with, with the person sitting next to you. What do you think one of those five things is? You got it? All right. So I'm going I'm to list these five things, and if, if you're bold enough to raise your hand, if you got it right, you can raise your hand and say, I was right, I got one of the five. So um, one of the things that most families or couples fight about is the work-play balance in life. So maybe you work too much, or you play too much, or you golf too much, or the work-play balance. I'm not speaking out of, um, out of experience, I'm just saying that might be one of the things that... <laughs> 
that might be there. So work play, anybody get the work play balance, something along those lines? Okay, a couple people. Number two, um, things that couples fight about, um, sex. So I won't have you raise your hand if, if you, and um, please don't nudge the person sitting next to you. We, we don't want you to leave with a bad experience. So um, number three, children, um, whether or not to have them, how to parent them, um, how you can sell them legally, um, all, kinds of, all kinds of things with kids. Um, number four, chores. Did anybody say chores? We fight about chores. Does anybody fight about chores? Nobody fights about chores. You've got to be honest. You're in church. So, yes. <laughs> oh, there was one kid on this side who was like, <laughs> I love it. Honesty. Out of the mouth of babes. Um, and the area that I'm guessing everybody said and because I gave you a hint by what's on the screen. How many of you said money is the, the thing that, yes, yes, money. We all like to fight about money, and um, we might not like to fight about it. We, we like to have money so we can fight about it. Anybody, amen? You like to have money so you can fight about it. And money, um, let's just be honest, money is messy. And not just it, it, the fact that money is messy, but many of you are sitting here right now when I mention money and you say, the pastor is the last person who should be telling me anything about money. Some of you, let's just be honest, like the, some of you are thinking that. And there are times I think, I just, I don't know that I want to talk about money in front of people because money's like one of those uh, messy kind of things in church and money that doesn't go along well. And, and there's just things that, and then what if we have new people who show up and the first thing I talk about is going to be money, like it's their first experience? We don't want to do that. And so we're just never going to talk about money. But there's a big problem with that. There's a huge problem with that. So even if right now you are very opposed to, to any conversation about money, I, I want to ask you just to stay with me just for a minute. And if you want to kind of tune out here in a couple of minutes, that's okay. Um, but just stay with me just for a second. Some interesting little... Um, statistics. And I, and I find this very interesting. In the Bible, there are 500 verses on prayer. And there are 500 verses, around 500 verses on faith. There are 2,000 verses about money in the Bible. 2,000. 2,000 verses about money. Half of the parables, those are the stories that Jesus tells from time to time, half of them relate to money in some way. And some of you are like, see, I knew Jesus wanted to talk about money. But the interesting thing about Jesus is Jesus is never really asking for it. Like Jesus isn't like talking about money because he wants more of it. In fact, he oftentimes kind of diverts it somewhere else. 10 to 15% of Jesus' words somehow lean into money. The big question that I have and what I want to explore and kind of jump into today is the question why. Why in the Bible... Are there so many verses? Why does Jesus talk about money so much? And I think it's a great thing for us to, to explore. And listen, um, we already took up the offering, so I promise you we won't do that again. It's not like a second time around. Uh, we won't, I, I, I don't want to try to manipulate you. I think there's ways that we could do that. Um, we could sing a song at the end, pass the plates again. We won't do that. I just want to talk about some things that Jesus talked about and look at what the Bible has to say about money. Can we do that just for a couple minutes? Will you stay with me maybe? Some of you are in, some are out. We'll see. Okay, so Jesus talks about money, and one of the places that he goes with money is in Matthew chapter 6. So we're in the same teaching, set of teachings that Jesus is in when he gives the Beatitudes, the blessed are these people. 
So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 6, or if you have your, uh, your journals, uh, it's in there on page 77. Um, so Jesus starts talking about, about money, and there's this big, long section, and I'm not going to read all of it, but just a little couple pieces. Don't store up treasures here on earth where, where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. So Jesus is saying, be careful not to put everything into what you see and what will be gone when you're dead. Does that make sense? Are you with him so far? Okay, this is Jesus' words. And then he says this, but store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, a little confusion here. How do we do that? How, how do we store treasures, or you, you might read into this money, how do, we, how do we store that in heaven? Is there like a bank account that I can send it to? Um, it, I, I, little confusing when it comes to this part of what Jesus says. But the next line, I think, kind of points out what Jesus wants us to understand and a baseline for us for the series. And here's what he says. For wherever your treasure is, and you can read there, money, there the desires of your heart will be as well. Wherever your treasure is, wherever your money is, your heart will end up in that same exact place. So what Jesus is saying, just to sum it up, is that our money and our treasure is somehow connected to our heart. There's, there's some sort of connection here between our money and our heart. And here's why I think the Bible talks so much about money is because God, at the end of the day, God doesn't need our money. He, he doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our stuff. What God is most interested in when it comes to human beings that he has created, what he's most interested in is what? Our, our heart. God is so much more interested in your heart than anything else you can imagine. The only reason I think the Bible comes back to money again and again and again is because money is somehow connected at a deep level to where our heart goes. And so I want to give you some bad English to help you maybe, not the band, but um, to help you maybe remember just this baseline kind of principle. And here it is. My heart will flow where my money go. All right? So let's, let's say this together, okay? This connection with Jesus. Here we go. My heart will flow where my money goes go. Right. Your heart will flow where your money go. And I know it's bad English. So English teachers, lit um, majors, go ahead and send me your, your, your comments, your thoughts. Um, my heart will flow where my money go. That it's just like a baseline truth is that eventually where you begin placing your money, your heart is going to flow in that direction. Your, your heart eventually will, will, will flow and will lean into the places where you spend and invest your money the most. It's just kind of one of those truths that Jesus says, so be careful about what you do with it. Be careful where you put it. Now, because of this, because of this big truth, uh, I, I want to I, I give you another little principle. And like I said, some of you are going to fade out and you're going to drift off, but there's, there's something important when it comes to money that is so true. You know how we did um, the series Bless This Mess? We just came out of this series, and a lot of times we have issues with parenting and marriage, and, and a lot of times we think the big fix when it comes to our families is if, if everyone else would just do what I say, then everything would be awesome in my family. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought that if people would just do what you say, it would work out much better? 
I, I think that all the time. I mean, my marriage issue really doesn't have to do with my suggestions. <laughs> right? Okay, so, so here's the principle, and, and then I want to kind of back up and, and walk, walk through it. Here's the principle, is only you control where your money will go. Only I control where my money go. And here's what I mean by that, is that we are all given dominion or reign over our finances. Did you know that? That you have reign over your finances, and your finances, your money, does, they, they do not have a mind of their own, as much as we think that they do, don't we? You know, like sometimes you get to the end of the month and you're like, I just don't know where my money went. It's like it has its own mind. It just like slips out of my pocket and ends up. Your money will always go exactly where you tell it to go. Did you know that? Don't you wish your kids would do that? <laughs> but your money does. I, I heard Bill Hybels um, lean into this teaching one time. He's, he's a pastor that, that I really relate to. And he leaned into this, and, and he, he kind of stuck on it for a long time because he wanted us to understand that money is one thing in life will, that will do exactly what you tell it to do. And if you, in your, in your life, if you look at your finances and you say, I've got some challenges with, with like, I don't, you know, I, my money just has a mind of its own. No, no, your money does not have a mind of its own. You do, and I do. And our money will do exactly what we tell it to do. And it's tied directly to our heart. So I want to look just at kind of the idea of spending what we do with the income that we have and how we kind of control the flow of our money and how our heart might be directly connected to that. Can we do that real quick? So three big buckets. Um, there's three big buckets of, of spending when it comes to our lives. We all those of us you know, who are working or those who are retired, you have income that comes into your life. There's three big buckets. There's your spending bucket, your lifestyle bucket, um, all kind of one big thing. You've got savings and investments, and then you've got giving and generosity. Those are the three big buckets. Are, are you with me? Does that make sense? So three big buckets. Now, there might be some other things that you say, oh, where does this fit? But, but those are the biggest buckets of how we spend our money. Here's the question. In what order... And what percentage goes in which bucket for us? In what order and what percentage goes in which bucket? And this, again, is not a spending issue as much as it is a heart issue. Um, just to get a, a glimpse of the U.S., the United States, and the average uh, of what happens in the United States, here's, here's how most of us spend uh, our money. Um, <laughs> This is, the, this, is the, uh, this is the order in which we spend our money. Number one, we, we spend our money on our lifestyle, what we want to buy. The second thing we do is we, we try to save or invest. And the third thing is, is we give. And we have some generosity that we want to spend. Now, some of you who are mathematicians in the room are looking at percentages and you're going, Matt, I knew you shouldn't be talking about money because you, you don't know how to add. Matt, you've got some problems with your math. And I would say that's not my problem. That's our problem as, as U.S. citizens and how we spend our money. So this, again, th these are numbers, uh, averages for, for U.S. households. The percentage that we spend of our, of our income, 130% on average, we spend on our lifestyle and spending. And you might ask yourself, well, how do we do that? And I'm just... I'll let you answer that question. How do we do that? 
Debt. Good job. Okay, so debt. We'll talk about that in just a second. Four to five percent of our income, after we've spent 130 percent of it, goes to savings and investments. So we think about we want to save some money, we want to invest some money, so four to five percent goes there. And then two to three percent on average ends up in the giving and generosity bucket. bucket. Does that make sense? Are you with me? This is just kind of average overall, the way that our, our household is broken down. Now, uh, an interesting way to spend money. Uh, let's just talk about debt for a second. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Don't worry. Our debt levels in this last quarter have reached the highest level they've ever been in the U.S. economy. Our personal debt levels are at the highest levels, um, once again, that they've ever been. And if you look at the debt categories, uh, the highest one, you would probably guess what it is. Mortgage, your house, yeah, that's the biggest level of debt. Number two, it's a new category. It's kind of taken over. Do you know what that might be? Student loans, yeah. Tuition, student loans, number two. Number three, auto, your car, yeah. Some of you should be up here with me. I mean, you guys know the answers to, 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 to where our debt is. So number three, auto loans. Number four, credit card debt. The average person who carries credit card debt is carrying at least sixteen dollars to $17,000 on their credit card, which means they're spending well over $1,800 a year on interest alone. That's, that's a big number. Um, so, so we've got some things. Would you agree that there's some out-of-whackness about the way that we, most of us spend our money? Would you agree with that? So you're with me, yeah. So both the order and the percentage. And so what I want to do just for a few minutes is I want to look at maybe what God would have to say about spending and how it's directly tied to our hearts. Um, again, order and percentage. So when it comes to like kingdom-minded budgeting, when it comes to the way that we, we invest our money in, in a kingdom-minded way, the first thing that we would notice is that the order of, of spending is the exact opposite. Now, some of you, and I, and I get this, I, I've sat where you're sitting, some of you are like, he's a pastor, he's a nonprofit, he has to say that, like that's, I mean, of course he's going to say that. But listen, listen, this is where I think the Bible speaks directly to the concept of it being directly tied to our hearts, is that what we do first and foremost with the resources we receive what we do first and foremost begins the direction our heart leans. And so some of you, and I, and I understand that, that there's this, this rub, this tension when churches talk about money. I, I get that. And, and I, I think I've said this as many times as I've talked about money in this church, that if you don't trust this church, uh, it's not about you giving to this church. Like, Find a church that you trust and invest there. Be generous there. And, and you might ask the question, why? Like, why, why does the Bible talk about this concept of maybe tithing or giving or generosity? Why does it come back to it again and again and again? Why does the Bible do that? And it's this understanding that, that when we invest in, in what God is doing in the world, when we invest and we trust him with what he's already given us, when, when, we, when we reflect that back to him, our heart comes into alignment 
with the work of God in the world at large. And every person in this room, every person in this room would say, I believe this world needs a little bit more grace and love and God and his peace and his hope. Everyone would say that. And so the Bible comes back to it again and again because when we are able to reflect our thanksgiving back to God to say, God, with the first bit of what you've given me, I'm going to say thank you. Thank you for giving me the mind and the ability to work and make money. Thank you for giving me this, and, and thank you for providing everything that I need, and I'm going to reflect that right back to you. Uh, the Old Testament concept, some of us would like wrestle 10%, really? The Old Testament concept of giving was actually far beyond 10%. We've kind of lost it in all the numbers. It's like 25 plus percent that God asked in the Old Testament. So I love that we don't lean into Old Testament teaching because 25 percent would be a little difficult, wouldn't it? Um, so if you really get into it, and some people want to argue, oh, it's not a New Testament principle, hands down, the concept of generosity is a Jesus principle. We filter everything through Jesus. And, and I believe that 10 percent is just kind of a threshold. Like we should reflect back to God what he's done for us, kind of a baseline that we honor God, we, we, we join with him. Now, I am so thankful, I'm so thankful that I had parents who taught me this early on, because the earlier you learn this, the easier it is to do this. So it's like anything. My mom, who's actually in the room today, I'm not going to point her out, um, but my mom and my dad sat with me and, and my brother and they, they just made it clear that, Matt, you've got to honor God first. And if you do that, God will honor and bless you. And you can, they, they, ta they taught me things like you can never outgive God. Like, and, and it wasn't about an exchange of, of money. Like, it wasn't like you give 10% and he'll give you 12% back. It's not, it's not an investment. It's just trusting God with that. And some of you in this room, you see that and you think, 10%? I could never give 10% of my income. There's just no way. And I would challenge you to give 2%. Start with two. Start somewhere with some generosity back toward God. And I believe that you should start with your local church. Of course, I'm going to say that. I know you, you think, oh, you're going to say that, your church. But, but I believe that you, you should engage so much with your local church, wherever that is, that you believe so much in the mission of that church that you want to engage financially and honor God first and step alongside in alignment with what he's doing. Um, I've had questions before like, uh, Matt, if everyone tithed, would you have a plan for that? Because if everyone tithed, we, I mean, our budget would be so, like the, what our budget is today and what it could be if everyone tithed, would you even have a plan? So some people have this concept, I'm going to withhold it because I'm not sure the, the church has a good plan. I have got a plan. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with my income. I'm kind of capped right now. It has nothing to do with that. Let me, let me tell you one plan. If everyone in this room just magically said, I'm going to give 10% for the next year and see what happens, let me tell you one plan, and, and you tell me if this is a good idea. One of the things I've talked about from the day that I, I came to McDowell was that I would love to fund 
one or two youth pastors, a male and female, for every local high school that would be able to show up on their campuses every single day, whether they're coaches or teachers, I would love to fund that because our kids in high schools today need adults who care about them. Do you believe that's a good thing? Yeah, so you... so. Uh, now, again, I'm, I'm not trying to talk you in. I, I'm just saying we have got a plan to invest God's money in things that matter the most. So partner with the church. Join with the church and move alongside. The, and there are other things. We have a ministry in Berlin right now uh, called the Pink Door, and the Pink Door is fighting to get women out of prostitution and human trafficking. And I would love to provide resources to pay for their staff so that 100% of income for the rest of the world that would come to the, pink, uh, to the pink door in Berlin, that it would go to programming expenses for those women living in that home. I would love to be able to do that because no one wants to give to staffing costs. You don't want to give 10 to 15% for administrative costs, but what would it be like for us as a church to say, we'll cover that so that 100% of your income can go to, to the mission of the ministry. That would be awesome. I have got a plan. I've got a plan. So you're like, okay, Matt, get past the 10%. Okay, so I'll, I'll leave that there. Um, but, but I really believe that the first thing, some people do that by writing a check. They love to write a check. They believe that's a spiritual moment where they write that check, and then they, like, I, I'm saying thank you to God every time I do that. Some people do that online. There's so many different ways to do that. But it's a spiritual, sacred thing to say, God, thank you, and I'm going to honor you with my first fruit. Before I give to anything else, I'm going to give to you, God. So the second thing, saving and investments. Now, uh, I'm so thankful for a mentor named Jeff Jeunesse in my life. And my first job, I was making like $10,000, and Jeff Jeunesse sat down with me, and he sat across the table. Some of you are like, $10,000. Um, and I was working like 80 hours a week. It was a great deal <laughs> for them. Um, so I sat across the table, and, and Jeff Jeunesse said this to me. He said, Matt, he said, today, you know, you're like 22 years old. Today, if you will, will pre-plan your retirement and simply give 10% of your income to your retirement, it won't seem like much. I'm like, $1,000? Like, that's going to help my... And he said, if you do it today, you'll never miss it in your life. And when you're 50 and when you're 60 and when you're 70, you will be so thankful because of the law of compounding interest. Some of you have been in that class too. I'm so thankful for his encouragement, and I'm so thankful for parents who encourage that in me, and I'm so thankful that I've done it. Robin and I, income, we don't even see that 10%. We just give it to our retirement, and we trust that they're going to do some good things with it, and there are years that they have not done good things with it, and I won't give you their names, but, <laughs> but I'm going to trust that. Um, this is, comes from the Bible. Um, this isn't me, but it says something like this um, when it comes to savings and investments. Uh, the wise save for the future, but fools spend whatever they get. Again, that's not me. That's the Bible. Fools spend whatever they get. We just, we just spend, spend, spend. And, and we like to do that in our country. I like to do that. I like fun things. The wise save for the future. Put away money for the future. Pay, um, Bill Hybel said it this way, pay yourself. Like, you should pay yourself for the future. Like, you pay your taxes, you know, give your, your, your tithe, 
and then pay yourself first before you spend anything for your lifestyle. Go ahead and pay yourself for the future. I like that plan. That's a good idea. Do you like that? Pay yourself. Yeah, you, you deserve it. Okay, so, uh, some, and some are saying 10% is no longer enough because we're living longer and there's, you know, cost of living and all that. So some are saying 15%. I tell every couple that, that, I, that I marry when we sit down uh, and work through things, we, when we talk about money, I tell them the 10, 10, 80 plan. This is a great plan. 80% then, live on 80%. Live on 80% of, if you, if you can learn to live on 80% of what you make, you will live like, like no one else is living in the world. You will live with so much less stress. You, you'll live with so much more freedom. You'll, you'll live not feeling like you're being weighed down by some future debt that you owe. You'll live like no one else is living in this world if you'll do the 10-10-80 the, the plan. And some in this church are doing that so well. And I wish I could bring them one by one up here to say, yes, there is so much freedom in this kind of a plan. Now, just basic question. Is it less stressful to spend 130% of your income or 80% of your income? Which is less stressful? Yeah, you're like, I'm not even going to answer that, Matt. It's like a trick question. You're going to then say something else at the end. No, it's so much less stressful to spend and live within our means. So much less stressful to do that. Now, I have a few friends, um, some in this room, who um, you've, you've honored God in huge ways. You've been extremely generous. And um, you've saved for the future. But that last bucket over here, this 80% bucket, you feel extremely guilty for what you have there. There's some of you in this room that feel so guilty that, that God has blessed you so much that you've been able to make amount, that amount of money. And, and, and some of you just feel so guilty and you can't enjoy it. I've talked to some people who are like, I just can't. It's hard to enjoy that because I know the need around me. Um, there's this passage in, in Timothy that says this. It says, God richly gives us all we need for our, what's that next word? Enjoyment. For our enjoyment. See, there's this thought when it comes to money that God doesn't want us to enjoy what he's given us. He does. He absolutely wants you to enjoy what he's blessed you with. And I think if we're able to kind of do that kingdom-minded thing where we, we honor God where we save and then we enjoy the goodness of what he's given. I think our heart lands in the right place. It starts leaning and flowing, aligning with God and his work. Well, there's some uh, other passages in your journal. I hope you'll take some time and, and dig into it. I, I hope that you'll spend some time just wrestling uh, with where you are, some of the messes that we have with our money, that we'll open ourselves to what God might have us to do and how he might have us to live. And, and I pray that we'll all experience financial freedom, like trusting God, saving for the future, and enjoying what he's given us. Um, money is messy, isn't it? It's difficult to talk about money. But... Our heart will flow where our money go. Our heart will flow where our money go. 
So may our money and our resources flow in the right direction. Would you stand?